Crack it off. Crack it off. watch film but I'd be honest I mean when I first started watching film I was just watching the game. Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at NFL on Twitter and of course follow the group at UK Packers and as usual I'm joined by me old buddy, me old pal, it's at Pulishru, it's Andy Davis. What's going on Andy? How's it going, buddy? Not too bad. Do you know what annoys me, right? So I say follow at NFL at UK Packers, at Pooley Shrew. I don't think I net a single follower from that type of intro. Maybe everyone who listens is following <laughs> me and following you and following the group. But if you're not, Andy, is there a stink off me or something? No, no, I just think you're very mysterious, Steve. That's what it is. It's, it's, what... The, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a new avatar as well. I think that's sort of uh, yeah. a bit more intrigue as well. Right, yeah. And, and again, like if my self-esteem was built off likes on that thing, that thing get too many likes either. Jesus Christ, I must be scaring people off of the damn thing. Maybe it's a scarecrow effect. I feel like the excuse you've given me is the excuse that a girl gives another girl when a guy doesn't call her and they go, he's just can't handle you. And it's like, no, he's just a douche. He's just a guy and he's an ass. So fair enough. I'll take it. I'll take it. Got a question for you though, Andy. Got a question. Go on. Um, have you got the, have you got the team, Packers team roster there in front of you, buddy? Current depth chart, is that yep. what you're after, yeah? Yeah, so yeah. we have someone who's just came off IOR, a little-known quarterback called Aaron Rodgers. Do you want to recap on... Now, this is the point where I'd usually do the whole playback, what you said last week, and you got a bit of jip off, more so from a guy from uh, Hereford called uh, Scotty Mann. Uh, he's, he's known here at UK Packers, but it turns out it sounded like you said Alan Rodgers, which I'm 100% sure that since you've been following the Packers since Jesus was a baby and, you know, you basically raised Aaron from your bosom, that you call him Aaron, but it's probably just a really weird hybrid accent. What is your accent? I mean, it's a mishmash of at least five places, isn't it? You're like Brad Pitt in uh, Snatch or whatever that movie was, you know, selling so, yeah. games. Yeah, my, um, my my accent's a bit of a, a mix. of. Uh, so if you think about England, at the very bottom, you've got Torquay in, um, in sunny Devon. At the very top, you've got Hartlepool, where I live now. Uh, and in the middle, you've got sort of a, a little bit of country yokel Shrewsbury, which sits next to the Welsh border. So in amongst that, you've got a, a pretty mucky mixture, to be fair. So, yeah, accent's not my strong point. So, But it's not Alan. It's definitely Aaron. Yeah. And uh, Scotty Man, uh, I'm calling you out. So um, I'm a Shrewsbury boy. And a bit a bit like your Chicago Green Bay rivalry. And your you, you sort of Yankees Red Sox. Okay. Shrewsbury Hereford's right up there, absolutely right up there in terms of intensive rivalry. So he has no place calling out my accent. Um, Wurzel Country. That's oh. all I'm saying. Well, explain that now. What What do you mean by Wurzel Country? Is that some type of bratwurst? Is that some type of sausage? Sausage. So I think they were a little a little known band from the uh, the late seventies who used to sort of play some. Pretty dapper tunes, and I'm sure we can dig one out of the archives and and warm Scotty's cockles. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's give uh, Scotty's cockles a kick in here. So we have two songs here in the playlist, Andy. Have you got any? And uh, this is probably now, the thing is right. Scotty has sent on some pictures about, and he looks. I don't, I'm not going to say wealthy at all, you know, but I'm just saying he's a few boys' toys there, so he has a bit of money. Maybe his dad was one of the original Wurzels. So, look, we have Combine Harvester, or we have, what is it, I Drink Cider, or something along those lines. <laughs> have, you got a, have you got a preference as to how you want to characterise Scotty with one of those songs? 
Yeah, I have a picture in my head of him doing the cider drinker one in his green and yellow ensemble outside Lambeau Field. So let's play that one, eh? Right. Let, let's have a listen and see uh, see what type of music Scotty does be banging out the old tractor when he's driving down the road. <laughs> I am a cider drinker. You know, that's not that's not a bad old tune. That's not a, that's a catchy tune. It's a bit you know backwards, and and I'm getting certain visions of you know the way the society's made up there. But I mean, you know, each to their own. I think the point is the average Joe won't understand half of the words. So if I do just sort of go off on a bit of a tangent sometimes, my dodgy accent, you know, it, it, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, that's no, all right. Look, they have a paddy, and now they're listening to some. Brad Pitt snatch style uh, mongrel accent from you. So look, it's entertaining, especially for the Americans. I don't know. Maybe we should add like a transcript of the podcast for the American listeners or something like that. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe the listenership will start to go down now because people just think that we're speaking in Dutch. Who knows? Yeah, we'll show my age now and say it's uh, subtitles are available on teletext. I remember the days of teletext when you used to have to jump on and check the soccer scores and all. Awesome, awesome. Football and cricket scores, couldn't beat it. Yeah, and you had to wait for the page to load. There was like eight pages of results, and your, your result was on page seven, and you'd have to sit there for ages, like, going, shut up. But however, if you wanted to continue with the TV programming, there was the very high-tech version of having it, just the writing on the screen where you could see what was going on in the TV behind. That was cutting edge, Andy, surely. The worst thing was booking a holiday. So you get to page 100, 118 of Teletext and you're like, oh, there's the one we want. And then it would just flick flick over to 119 and you were like, oh, oh really? There it, goes. there it goes for another year. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Off the butlins. Off the bleeding yeah. butlins. Yeah, absolutely. But come here, look, Packers are on a bit of a holiday at the moment and everyone's in a very celebratory mood. It is like a trip to Mosny with the kids because we've just beaten the Bucks, the worst defense in the NFL, uh, potentially <laughs> the worst quarterback. It's some really strange stuff. As much as we like to bang on about Brett Hundley, um, James Winston made some pretty strange decisions. So it's always when we try to analyze a game like this because this happened with the whole run the table thing, right? Is where the Packers are effectively in playoff mode. So if we lose a game we can kiss the season goodbye. Even if we win a game, we could still potentially kiss the season goodbye. And there's a massive flaw in all of this stuff. Now, I want to ride the wave uh, of Jamal Williams and when we can be positive and we can look at the good stuff and all that. However, and it is this assumption that uh, we're going to beat the Browns, which A, as I said before, like any given Sunday, uh, the Browns are the bogey team. I kind of say that they're the Italy of the Six Nations, that someone is going to fall to them eventually. Even the Niners last year, you know, got one or two wins, right? So it can happen. Um, but people are assuming that Aaron Rodgers comes back against the Panthers and he beats the Panthers, right? So they're up there in the race against the Saints in their division. Then after that, we have the Vikings, who Case Keenum looks like the second coming of... of maybe one-legged Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's fairly adept. He's he's stepping up in the pocket. He's taking hits. Uh, he's going through all of his reads and he looks like a man revived. Now, the frustrating thing about this whole thing is is I equate him to Carson Palmer. He's one of these um, flash-in-the-pan style seasons for him where all of the conditions are just perfect and they've all come together for him and this is the year that they I, I reckon... You see, I'm going to say reach the Super Bowl, but then that, again, sort of slashes 
what I'm saying about the Packers that if we do make the playoffs that we're going to actually fall, right? But um, there's massive potential there, let's say, for them to get to the Super Bowl. And if you look at the year that the Panthers got there, it's a very long-winded question and analysis, but uh, bear with me. So the, the year that the Panthers got there, I was on... So I'm on Irish radio, Sunshine 106.8, and that's not me trying to look like Billy Bill, but big balls. I'm actually on Irish radio every Saturday. Please listen, it helps, right? So... And it's I have to do an all NFL analysis. So that means I have to look at all the other teams, right? So when the Panthers made that run into the Super Bowl, every week I was like, no. And it was the same year that I think it was the same year, wasn't it, that Leicester won the Premier League? And I was like Premier League, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, look, the Panthers are the Leicester of the NFL. Everything is the the conditions are perfect because every week I would pick against them because I was like, no, this is the week that they're gonna get pasted, right? And it only worked out once against the Falcons. Um so I was saying Every week, and I was looking at all the stats and the stuff behind it, because it was part of my job, I would say every week there was one or two players that you would probably never heard of or had heard of but were having sucky seasons would step up for the Panthers and play a blinder. And then the next week it'd be two other people and then everyone else was crap. And then Cam Newton would be terrible and then someone else would be really good. But they started to build up this momentum and it was just like these weird things kept happening every single week to make me look like a gobshite, right? <laughs> and I feel the same is kind of happening with the Vikings. They have weapons and they're scheming excellently and they're against the right opponents. They're against a good mix of weaker opponents, but they've shown that they're good against stronger opponents and all the rest. So, like, but that's the point, isn't it, with the Vikings, though, isn't it, Steve? That, you know, Case Keenum is Case Keenum, yeah. but they've massively improved their offensive line. Yeah. Pat Elfline's been a real contributor on the offensive oh, yeah. line. And when you look at their weapons, they've got a great tight end and they've got two receivers that are just red hot. Adam Thielen, for me, has been oh, one of the most impressive NFL players this season. And Stefan Diggs is, uh, you know, he's he's got speed to burn, hasn't he? So he's got real options there and, and that makes a big difference when you play in the QB position. So, th- And that's the point, really, isn't it? I mean they're on a run and there's like why are people assuming that Aaron Rodgers is back and we beat them like I I don't get that part of it now I understand because yes Aaron Rodgers right so we have to beat the Vikes and then we have to beat the Lions to to land at 10 and 6 to potentially still be in the race now to further muddy the water the Seahawks have beaten the Eagles so you know they're up there it's just there's there's a lot of permutations to it, but Andy, that's the problem, really, isn't it? Like before we get into positivities and and maybe just I don't even think it's a positive with the books. I just think it's if you're to read off the stats off a sheet and ask somebody blindly who won that game, you'd say definitely not Green Bay if you didn't know it was Green Bay. But anyway, Andy, uh, is it is it not a bit silly that because I I do it, I fall into it. I'm like, oh Jesus, yeah, just the Browns to go, they're winless, beat them, uh, win <laughs> the other three games into the playoffs, happy days, we've saved the season. Like, how likely do you think that is? Well, the first thing to say is that um, at the minute, as it stands, particularly with the uh, Seattle win over Philadelphia that you alluded to, is that 10-6 and probably won't get you into the playoffs. That's the first thing. Uh, And then at the minute, based on the performance from Sunday, I'm probably not buying the sort of win-out mentality either. Um, 10-6 and feels like a long way away, doesn't it, based on Sunday's performance. So there's, there's two things for me. I think the Seattle win over Philadelphia is one we all had down as a Philadelphia win. So yeah. I'll look at some of the scenarios that we need, the likes of Seattle, Atlanta, Carolina, to, to drop a number of games, not just the odd one. Yeah. And that's a, it's a big ask, isn't it? Um, so even if we do finish at 10-6 and six by by some way, um, that might not be good enough to get us in the blunts. So. 
And that's the frustrating part that could happen here, right? Is that we land at 10 and 6 and we look back with rose-tinted glasses and say, oh, look what we were able to do. And then we're on the podcast waxing lyrical about how fantastic the, the coaching staff are to have salvaged the season. But let me put it this way, like... Uh, there was a comment on the on the UK Packers closed Facebook group. And if you're not a member of that, do get in. So go to UK Packers on Facebook. That's the page. And then there's a group link to it. And it's a private group. You can get in and say what you want. And we have a game day thread. So we started off and then everyone has a good banter. It's a fantastic forum, right? But someone put in that. Um, they said, oh, is, like, is Brett Hundley going to throw this game away on us, right? And someone got underneath it and said why are you just focusing on Hundley it's not just about him here like the other players like are playing as well so th- that's really the point here um Andy isn't it I mean Brett Hundley's one thing but we've seen Peyton Manning ride off into the sunset and get into the Super Bowl uh and they got there in spite of him like he was benched twice for Brock Osweiler um you know, like he, he got injured, Brock Brock came in and then Brock was benched and Peyton came back in again. And I think they benched him after that. They certainly did it once. So they've benched a future Hall of Famer because of his poor play. But he they still had him in there. He had no arm. He was like one dimensional. But because of the, you know, the, the talent around him, be it at uh, running back and mostly on defense that year, they were still able to do the job. So Hundley's not the only problem here, right? No, he's not. And I think Huntley was poor on Sunday. I thought it was probably one of his poorer games. Out of the games he's played, he was quite hesitant again in his reads. Yeah. But I think we lacked um, we lacked energy across the board, if I'm really honest. I think there were some exceptions to that, but it, but, but in general, I thought we lacked energy. Uh, McCarthy alluded to it after the game and, and blamed it on the uh, the late-night Sunday game in Pittsburgh. Um, that's over my head, that one. If you can't get up for a game at Lambeau Field, you know, seven yeah. games seven days later then with we're in the wrong profession so i don't know why there was a lack of energy um but it certainly felt like it yet again and that's probably the third or fourth game on the spin at lambo where we've where we have alluded to it or commented on it and um i don't know i just expect to see a little bit more juice you think someone like jamal williams is a rookie who comes in now he's playing with you know more juice than some of the guys put together if you really if you really look at it uh, it's a bit of a mystery. It shows, right, because he's a rookie and he's he's in a scrap with with Aaron Jones and, you know, arguably Ty Montgomery when he's back from injury. But the stat line on the night was just mind-blowing. So, Brett Hundley, a 42.3 passer rating. Now, when I look at Jameis Winston, uh, who was just marginally better, he was just making just the weirdest boneheaded plays. Hundley... Um, as you said, I mean, trying to go through his reads and all that, they're really, and if you look at the, the stats of the wide receivers, I mean, at least James Winston was, was throwing the ball around 270 yards in the night. Brett Hunt, what was he doing, he, what was he doing on the uh, fumble though? What was he doing? I don't, I have no, oh, who was he throwing it to? Yeah. The guard? Yeah. I, I have no idea what he was doing there. But that's why we put out on the Twitter, didn't we, that like, you know, they're doing, Tampa Bay are doing everything they can to throw the game away and it looked like that on the night, didn't it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But it's like I said to you, sort of in the preview game last week, is that on the perimeter they've got some weapons. You know, we talked about Cameron Bray being a red zone weapon, and sure enough, he pops up in the end zone straight away. But it's the offensive line is, uh, you know, it's paper thin. I mean, Clay Matthews went unblocked for two of his sacks. Didn't he? They didn't even lay a glove on him. Yeah. So I think, um, and that's the problem, isn't it? Anytime you've got an offensive line that's that civ-like quarterback gets happy feet and, and makes sort of rash decisions and I think that's where he's at at the minute he's carrying an injury obviously as well isn't he I think he was pretty yeah. pretty beaten up back there and I think he was playing 
just on will quite a lot of the time. Most of the times when he left the field on fourth down, he was he was hobbling, as to say, wasn't he? He was just about getting off the pitch. So, and the mind boggles really. I mean, because he did, like maybe they put him back in and he wasn't all that healthy. Because what did he have? He had the shoulder injury, and now he's potentially got the ankle. They're four yeah, and eight. Yeah. They're cut. They're out of the race. But the the offensive line, and that's something that we raised at the you know on that preview show, is that look at the the guys up front. Mike Daniels came away with half a sack. Clay Matthews two and a half sacks. And Kenny Clark back from injury as well, like you know, two sacks for him. Uh, he just looks like he's getting better and better. And of course, Blake Martinez, he's just he's always in on the action. Again, he's the leading tackler, six solo tackles, twelve in total. Um, only ahead of Jake Ryan, who again, Andy down the stretch, Jake Ryan is looking fairly tidy. Yeah, I thought Jake Ryan, Martinez, yet again, Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, all, all very impressive. Um, the sort of polar opposite, really, to the. Uh, play of Clinton Dix yet again I'm not quite sure what Clinton Dix is doing um, on, the, on the back end there you know I've been watching the cricket which is uh, probably not a good thing as an England fan <laughs> over the last few days yeah. in Australia and in cricket you have a, you have three field positions you have long on mid on and short leg so short leg stands very close to the, the action mid on is sort of midway back from the action and long on's right the way back on the perimeter boundary I'm sure that someone's told Clinton Dix to play long on because he's not in any camera shots. He's never involved in the play. He doesn't anticipate. He's just sort of like a, a deep field safety, isn't he? Uh, just Is that design? Is that the way we play in defence? I just don't get it. That's the question, Andy. What is it? I mean, the thing is, like we, we've spoken to some defensive players and at times, even when you look at their interviews, they look kind of frustrated by the scheme. Is it yeah, all yeah, scheme yeah. with him, do you think? I guess we'll never know, will we? Um, uh, you would think it would it would have to be, wouldn't it? The, the fact that he stands that far back. You know, we, we watch NFL every single week. Very rarely do you see a camera shot where the safety's not even in the picture. Yeah. But for Green Bay, that is the case. And it's just, it's just bizarre. And I know we've got young corners out there and experience on the field. But it's still, it still rankles me that even when they started sort of reeling off six and seven yard runs mm. on a consistent basis in the second half, we didn't bring the, you know, someone the second safety into the box and and sort of try and shore it up that way and trust our cornerbacks a little bit more. You can't play defense like that. You can't just play deep centre field and expect, mm. you know, just to make the odd tackle here and there. That's just that's not how you play defense. It's, it's like, just bizarre. It's like they overthink it, Andy, to me. like It's like they're sort of thinking, okay, you know, if we stack the box too much or bring them too close to the line of scrimmage that they're going to rip off a big pass play. And it's like Dom Capers is almost paralyzed at times because he doesn't want to give up that big play, you know, and he wants to just give them the chunks and then hopefully the red zone defense with it being compressed will be able to stop it and they'll go for three. Um, I don't know. But the thing but my is... My problem with that, Steve, is we're giving up the low percentage players. Yeah. So to run six or seven yards is a, is a low percentage player. To challenge someone to throw the ball 30 or 40 yards at Lambeau Field on a December afternoon is a is a you know is a difficult completion to make isn't it yeah so for the for the offense that's not a not a gimme so even if it it does you know the, the route and he gets beat by half a yard there's no guarantees that Winston in particular is going to hit that throw so why not challenge teams don't give them the easy five and six yards it's just not that's not how you play defense it's not how you challenge teams it's not how you turn teams it's not how you sort of change the tempo of games and we talked about how flat it is but Defense is your tone setter. That's when the crowd can really get into it, whether it's a big hit or a turnover or, or, or whatever. And we saw on this sort of interception from Larry how the, the crowd got into it. Yeah. But you need that, you know, 
time after time after time, don't you? It's as though we get so deflated up third down defence. We're just so passive. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a head scratcher for me. And what really bothered me on the night was is that we again seem incapable of covering tight ends and we just can't defend the screen to save our lives. I mean, how many times <laughs> did you start, you know, cussing at the TV, just seeing another screen and go, oh, here we go, here's another massive gain. But again, the screen, you know, the way to beat the screen is that your linebacker takes on the first block mm. and engages. And then normally what happens is your safety mops up the play and yeah. takes the running back. So if your, you know, linebacker's engaged and you have no safety, your screenplay is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And look, this is always the uncomfortable part is when you look at play calling and you look to to look at a flaw in it. I mean, I'm, I'm well aware that I have a leprechaun hat on and green britches, <laughs> right? And that I, look, who am I to, to question it? But one thing that I questioned at the time, it seemed like everyone on Twitter que- questioned. Um, we saw memes flying at us from everywhere about Mike McCarthy's kind of way of, you know, oh, third and one, Hail Mary, you know, that whole meme, we got that at us. Um, it, you know, it's just, it's kind of, it was that play, it was the third and short, and instead of, because we were running over them all of that drive with Jamal Williams, and it's so much so that he was gassed at the end, and that's how Aaron Jones ended up going in in overtime, because Jamal Williams was so uh, overutilized and to great effect, is that the run was working, and McCarthy was quizzed by a reporter, and McCarthy looked pretty annoyed when he was quizzed about it as to why he decided to throw the ball on third and short when he was getting so much purchase off the run. Andy, how do you reconcile that play in your head? So McCarthy called it a run-pass option, didn't he? So yeah. what he said was that based on the alignment of the defence, that Huntley had the choice of you know calling the pass play that he called because it was a what he called an empty pressure or, or calling the run play. Yeah. I don't know. Um, a, I don't think it's the right route for, for Jordy to run anymore. I don't think that's his strength. I think the, uh, the the play call was poor. And B, Jamal Williams had been bullying them all day, whether it was his you know his handoffs or his pumping his legs. So given that I would have taken third and fourth down, um, I'd have just ran Williams straight down the middle twice if, if he weren't successful on third down. So um, not the play call I would have chosen for sure. Because we've seen the, the touchdown that Jamal Williams... God, like he should have been stopped and oh. he wasn't. He just kept the legs churning. Like, isn't he a throwback yeah. to the old ground and pound stuff? Great to watch, isn't he? And to watch sort of him in tandem with Aaron Jones for the rest of this season and hopefully next season. It's going to be exciting stuff, isn't it? He's like a throwback, isn't he? He's like a yeah. old school. Yeah, he's very, very good. I love his sort of uh, his handoffs that he did. I think he did two on Sunday, particularly pleasing to watch. He's just got a real desire and a passion, hasn't he? He's got a bit of cheekiness about him as well. I love his little uh, bum wiggle that he, <laughs> that, that he brings to the party, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah, I love all that sort of stuff. Brilliant. And um, yeah, he's a likeable guy, isn't he? And um, it's good to see the ball security as well. He carries the ball high and tight, doesn't he? Yeah. Doesn't look like sort of fumbling touch wood. And um, yeah, he's, he's been great. I mean, that touchdown run was fantastic, wasn't it? He didn't, there was no lane there. There was no gap and he looked like he was stopped for a two-yard loss and it was just sheer will that got him in the end zone. Yeah, it was unbelievable because his whole upper body was stopped with those uh, little legs of his. Just kept going, it was brilliant. But um, a touchdown of the night has to go to Dean Lowry. Uh, I know you alluded to it there earlier. I don't know what James Winston was doing. I mean, you eat the sack, you eat the ground, you eat the turf, you eat whatever you can. He, we all know that he likes to eat his fingers in the W sign, so that's also weird. But I mean, you think that he'd just go down, but he decides, and we've seen Aaron Rodgers do it, so quarterbacks do do it, but uh, even for Aaron Rodgers, I wouldn't be advised, but even though it works, um, 
you know, trying to throw the ball and it kind of flips out of his hand into Dean Lowry. So according to Pro Football Focus, he's had his best game of his career. So he had a sack, two pressures, a run stop, and then that touchdown to go with it. Um, I did worry for the wall in Lambo when he did the Lambo leap though. <laughs> Were you concerned at all for the construction of the stadium, Andy? Not at the pace he was going, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably yeah, it wasn't the best. It, if he'd have been going a little bit quicker than a 6.40, then I would have uh, maybe had a bit of a worry. But no, that was... I thought somebody had messed with me Sky Remote Control and put it onto sort of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and put it onto slow motion. Jesus. Then... Um, them, the, the, the uniform he's wearing, he needs to go and see the uh, the uniform guy for a bigger size, I think. And that was slowing him down for sure. I'll tell you what, I got concerned as well because he kind of got up and he tried to cock their leg up and realised this isn't working. And someone <laughs> went happening. to grab him to pull him up. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, not unless you're Lou Ferrigno. Would you leave the guy alone? I just I expected just jock strap to be flying everywhere and pants to be ripped and him to get fines from the NFL and stuff that I'd never be able to unsee again. But uh, fair play to Dean Larry. But this is, this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about there. Right, is that the same way as I said off the top with the Panthers where all of a sudden you will have just a ridiculous game by people who are seemingly not anonymous but you know had had not been able to get the purchase that they did in this game we had the top grade that the the Packers had was from Dean Lowry Jake Ryan is playing out of his skin but unfortunately went off that neck injury so that's concerning uh, Josh Hawkins was our third best graded player and Lane Taylor, who's been really suffering lately, was our fifth best. So we have people stepping up uh, on on an occasion that is going to change the dynamic. And that's what we need because obviously a team, we've, we've heard about it before when you're prepping for a team. Yes, you'll do your prep before the season and have a general idea. But depending on personnel and how it's going and how the other team are doing and who steps up to the plate, you only look back to a certain amount of games to do your research. So if Lane Taylor was struggling for the last whatever amount of games, or earlier in the season, um, you're going to look back to that and potentially see him as a weak link and maybe you target accordingly. But the fact that he stepped up, Nick Perry had a fantastic game. Uh, Jamal Williams is just absolutely ridiculous. You know, that's what we need at this point. And it'll be interesting to see when Aaron Rodgers does come back. We're going to need a little bit of something because the Panthers and the Vikings, arguably two out of the three remaining games, if Aaron Rodgers does come back, which again, people are taking for granted, are going to be pretty tough games. Uh, to come up against and whether we actually have the wherewithal and the talent on the roster and the attitude and all the rest although Andy I would say that with Aaron Rodgers coming back that would give the team a natural lift so you know maybe it'll work yeah and I think health has a big thing a big part to play as well doesn't it so for Lane Taylor for example I think he's been really struggling with injury I think he's uh, he's braved it out and fair play to him but I think he has been struggling with injuries. Um, and the same goes for, for a number of the Packers, to be honest. You Clay Matthews, you Bakhtiaris, Elaine Taylors, Demarius Randall. You could you could go on, obviously, Morgan Burnett. So I think if we can get a, a full bill of health, I think that would really help our chances going forward. So overall thoughts then, Andy, on where we stand. Are we in the same position as we have been for the last couple of weeks? And looking at this game as a whole, I mean, can you take the positives out of it and say, look, it's a step in the right direction? Like what Brett Hundley says, a win is a win. It doesn't matter how you get it. Um, and we have the Browns next. So are you are you secretly confident now that we can sort of use this as a bit of a stepping stone to gain some momentum? Well, it's a win, isn't it? It's a win's a win. He, Brett Hundley's right when he says that. You know, every it goes down in the record books as a win and that's about all it needs to be, isn't it? I was yeah. I was really hoping that the Browns would win on Sunday so that it would go into the game not the only winless team in the NFL. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the case, is it? So yeah. um, it's a banana skin. 
Um, I'll, I'll look at the game later in the week in terms of the Browns a little bit closer, but um, it's a it's a big ask, isn't it, to win all four? It's a real big ask for me. Um, uh, let's just see one game at a time and keep reassessing. At the minute, you'd have to say that the combination of the other teams sort of losing games and us winning the final four is a is a long shot. I don't know what your percentage is looking like this week, Steve. Is it better than five or six percent? Uh, no, it's between four and five now, as, as it yeah. stands. Now, if the Packers win out and we pick the Vikings to lose every game, <laughs> we're at 89%. But um, yeah, a lot of stuff needs to happen. But there is a, I found one website where I could go through and put in all the calculator, but you'd be there for about four years coming up with these hypothetical situations. So there's always a, a genius way better than us, Andy, that'll come out now in about a week or two and give us all the permutations. And another thing that's going to get, do you know what's going to get clown of the week, Andy, at that stage? <laughs> right. What's that? Is that when we go and we release, now we, we admit it to people like, wait, I'm not, I can't go in and look at all if, if the New England Patriots, you know, wear their underpants inside out. That means the Packers have a 4% chance if they beat the Browns and someone's granny too, you know. And it's always these weird permutations, but it always comes down to, like obviously we're going for the top the, the highest NFC seed that we can to get to the playoffs that's a given but it does come up against what happens in the AFC because depending on who from the NFC bet the person in the AFC and how they match up on the head-to-heads that's important and every year we say these we didn't make this up these are the scenarios that are floating around the interweb and we come out with them and we say the Packers do this, the Vikings do this, and then the Lions, and then, of course, the Eagles and the Seahawks. And then we'd say, oh, and the Patriots have to do this and the Chargers, whatever. And people always go, oh, look at idiots from uh, from the UK. Here we go. Like, we're, we're looking for an NFC seed, lads, not the AFC. The Patriots have nothing to do with it. And you're like, going, oh, my God, there's not enough hands in the world to give you <laughs> as many slaps as I want to, for God's sake. But it started on Sunday, didn't it? So it was like... If Green Bay get into the playoffs, watch yeah. out. And to be fair, you know, we had a glimpse of the future there with, you know, Jamal Williams and, and Aaron Jones. We could see a different Packers in sort of uh, 2018 with those two at the uh, in the backfield. Yeah, it's scary. It's pretty frightening. I'm, I did see it was good morning football. There was one of those sort of early morning shows that I was watching and one of the pundits came out and said, you know, this team is, is seriously dangerous with, with Aaron Rodgers back. And I just yeah, think yeah. it's amazing, Andy, isn't it? I mean, you take Brett Hundley out and put Aaron in and all of a sudden we've got a Super Bowl favourite, you know, a Super Bowl winning uh, offence. Now, not as the position stands, um, but like we were saying last week, I mean, the start of the season, we looked fairly dynamite. I, I think we were losing games that we really shouldn't have lost. Um, but he does make all the difference. He does make all the difference, he? But I think he's probably two weapons short of what I would call a, a Super Bowl winning offence, in my opinion. I think that the Randall Cobb was invisible again Sunday, wasn't he? Um, Jody's not the same Jody without Aaron. Um, and Devante Adams is balling out, but we haven't got a tight end, so to speak, of at the minute. So we are a, a little bit sort of more, less diverse than what we were at the start of the season on paper. And that's um, Super Bowl winning teams always have a full arsenal, don't they? Whether you're the New England Patriots or maybe it's the Eagles. I know they had a bit of a hiccup on Sunday, but they'll be my two teams that will be the the best suited to win in the Super Bowl this year and I just we I think we have to address as well the kind of the misconception around Jordy as well right so he's not getting the ball because it could be a number of reasons I mean one they're going to cover him because I don't know he was probably seen as wide receiver one or certainly the potential to do it now arguably it's Devontae but they're going to cover him because they know he's talent uh, and then on top of that, then it's like, can he get the separation enough or is he used to not getting that separation? Is he as fast as he was? All of that stuff considered. But I I kind of had to it tweak my attention when, and even a reporter asked it to Mike McCarthy, 
is that they were like, oh, we can see the ball going to Jordy more. I think they're trying to get him more involved because he hasn't been targeted, so they're trying to get the ball to him now instead. It's like, look, it's not like... It's not a kid's party of pass the parcel, no, and no. if you don't win it, you're no. like, oh, we passed him a little bit more because we feel sorry for him. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, which just stop? I mean, they're going to pass it to him if he's open. So what they'll do is, and like yeah. Mike McCarthy explained it perfectly, he said, look, we saw the schemes going towards Devontae, so that left Jordy more open, so that's why we went to him. And did you have to laugh when people are like, oh, look, they're trying to get him involved, fair play. It's kind of like, lads, come on, it's not it's, how it works. It's, it's embarrassing, isn't it? You know, it's quite clear that Devontae Adams is our number one receiver now. Yeah. Tampa Bay weren't blind to that, so they were putting him in bracket coverage and doubling up on him. So the single man receiver was Jordy. The only thing I would say is that I like Jordy in the slot. Mm. I'd rather Jordy played in the slot and you put, you know, Cobb out wide. Um, I know Cobb's only a small guy and he's more suited to the slot. But Jordy in the slot could do some damage. That's yeah. I would like to see him in there anyway. Just quick slants, you know, quick five yard outs, all that sort of stuff. But not certainly the, uh, the wide receiver screen is not Jordy's staple play. It might have been five years ago, but it's not today. No, I, and again, I don't know how many times I've looked at highlights of Jordy Nelson and, you know, it's it's the slant play that he beats coverage in the middle of the field and then goes for a long game. Like that, you know, I don't yeah. know how many times I've seen that and that just seems to kind of, uh, to, to be his forte really and they should be using him more on that. But again, uh, that's a caveat. I'm sitting in Ireland and, you know, I'm, what do I know? So <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to uh, preview the Browns game on the next pod. So that'll be a bit of fun. We'll have our clown of the week and fan of the week back then again. But for the Browns game, there is an informal UK Packers meetup. So it's not one where, you know, we're going to be there chaperoning people and, and giving out drinks vouchers and, and having sort of a ticketed event with raffles and all the rest and all that sort of good, good stuff like Dublin. This is more of an informal one. Um, it was mooted at the start of the season or, or close to it anyway that we needed a meet up in London because uh, to, I love the comment that someone said, like we're really giving people a tour of the countryside and all these meetups because, you know, we're going to Birmingham for the Super Bowl meet. Uh, we went to Manchester. We had the meet up in Dublin. So we're going back to London, but it's more informal. So everyone's saying like, oh, who's going? We don't know. Okay. We're just announcing it on the podcast. If you want to go, go. So um, you go uh, into the Hippodrome and we'll release on a newsletter and also on social media accounts, the kind of directions of whereabouts in the Hippodrome Casino in London that you need to go. Um, but before we finish up, and I suppose that's the only real housekeeping um, to say, before we finish up, Andy, there was a really interesting debate that broke out on our Twitter during the game because the Boo Birds were back in Lambeau again. And we asked the question, you know, is booing ever acceptable at Lambeau Field? So I think we'll we'll finish on this one. What are your thoughts on this of, of booing at Lambeau Field? And can you see it from the opposite side of wherever your stance is that yes, it's acceptable. No, it's not acceptable. Oh, you can do whatever you want. How do you see doing that in the hallowed ground? So a wise man once said to me that football is a game of opinions and, mm. <clears throat> and all opinions are valid, aren't they? So everyone will have an opinion on whether or not booing is the right thing to do and whether it's the wrong thing to do. And if I'm really being honest, I sort of sit on the fence. I understand from both sides. Um, I'm quite an emotional guy when I watch football or, or soccer or, or any sport, really, to be honest. So it tends to be a sort of knee-jerk, passionate reaction from myself that if I think something's wrong, you, you sort of puff your cheeks out and, and give a, an expression. The, the, the booing I don't understand is the, when they're coming off the field and there's sort of excessive booing at that point there because that doesn't serve any purpose you know the, the emotions being drawn out of the play it's over they're leaving the field it's the fans job 
in my opinion, at that point, to try and raise the players. And I think I spoke to you the other week. I went to a match, um, a football game, and we had a player sent off. And at that point, then, it was all hands to the pump. It looked unlikely that we were going to get the win. And all of a sudden, all the fans you know, stood around and about me, all sort of got up and all started singing and all started encouraging the players all as a one. And you could visibly see it lift the players. You could visibly see that they got a lift from that. And in all the post-match sort of social media interaction, they all thanked the fans and said, you're our 12th man. You got us over the line. We needed it. You need, we needed you. You know, you could see that we weren't doing particularly well. And it just seems an odd thing to do. At that point, it would be quite easy as a fan just to sit down in your seat, you know, boo, you know, sit down, shut up. And that's the end of it. But it did exactly the opposite, exactly the opposite. And it just shows you that, you know, how much influence the fans can have, particularly in a home game. But I don't, I don't know. The other thing for me, the other side of it, is that if NFL players can't handle the booing, then they're not going to last long in the NFL. That That's the other thing. Cheering and booing a bit of a yin and yang, aren't they? So playing devil's advocate, you know, if you want to see raucous fans that cheer. The, the times I've booed in my sort of following sports have always been when I don't see effort where I see somebody that's not in their paycheck um, and I just think, do you know what, um, I support this club, um, I'm invested in this club and I demand to see as a fan better effort and my only method of communication when I'm in a stadium is to boo. So uh, does that make sort of sense? And it doesn't mean, it's not derogatory, it's not aimed at that and it's few and far between. But for all the sports clubs that I follow, whether it's the Green Bay Packers or in soccer back in the UK, it's, there's been individuals where I think that they're not worthy of a shirt and you hear it sort of in a chant or, you know, you're not fit to wear the shirt. So it is very few and far between, but fans don't have any other mode of sort of communication in many cases, do they? So I understand it, but but the persistent brewing for me is something that's just, it's not effective, it's not warranted, it's not needed. That's where I am anyway. Well, there was, I tell you, I really split down the middle. So I'll just read out some of the comments from Twitter and then I might just wade into these waters, right? Yeah, yeah, and ho- hopefully not drown. <clears throat> uh, so, uh, Backlay Green, so at RedM69 says, it's frustrating when the team isn't performing and the play calling is poor, but what does booing achieve aside from motivating your opponents? That's important as well. I mean, you're kind of thinking, what does booing achieve? But you kind of alluded to it there, Andy, right? It can add as a motivating factor or it can be a demotivating factor. So it depends on, as a fan, what you want. Um, Richard Biddle says no never um, Chief Stradamus uh, we, Bob Bruce we had him on the podcast last week said that he did from home the defence was offensive <laughs> uh, but it did come through in the long run with Saxon hits on the quarterback the short passes are killing us uh, Virginia Johnson says no uh, Johnny HP says when the play calling is terrible and there's no fight in half the team then yes I can take losing if we play well and show some passion, but this has been awful. Uh, Charlotte says, no, we want to resign players like Adams, but why would the guys like him want to play here when they get booed by their own fans? Never acceptable. Don't be surprised when players don't want to stay if that's how they get treated at home. Uh, Janelle Rose says, no. Some spoofer called Andy Davies says, uh, <laughs> instant reaction of disappointment. Natural. Uh, it just is particularly at the culmination of a bad run of plays. Uh, competitive frustration however the sustained booing leaving the field not healthy uh, Jackie Steed says would be worth discussing on the next pod so we're doing that Jackie um, I'd say no but folks will argue you pay your dollars and have the right Reckon Pack fans have been spoiled for so long with greatness behind centre so it's the same as uh, Mastodon uh, underscore 70 
says the tickets are expensive fans can do it not something i do myself so we have a you know a fair share of people as we scroll down here just saying yeah you pay the money you support the team you go all out you stay up late you do this that and the other so you have a right and then you've other people saying absolutely not categorically no and then you know in the middle is kind of the people that say i wouldn't do it but yeah do whatever you want i do think though the green bay packers are a different beast than you know the rest of the world of sports because we are we don't have an owner yeah and so if you think about uh, i'm trying to think of a sort of uh, analogy so west ham for example ryan's team at the moment where a lot of the sort of hate anger and, and venom is directed towards not only the manager but also the board of directors in terms of the level of investment in terms of the players that they've brought in in terms of the stadium that they've bought for them i think the fans of that club have a right to boo and voice their opinion I do think that Green Bay has been spoiled a little bit and I'm not sure that we're in a position where we should be booing at all at the present time, given the, the injuries that we've had, given that we've got a backup quarterback under centre and given that the years of success that we've had both at Lambeau and away from Lambeau. So um, I do think we have been a wee bit spoiled and I'm not sure the booing's warranted either now or like Richard Biddle points out, you know, it's probably not healthy at any time really but i understand the, the the people that do it on the immediate basis it's just the longest stretched out continuation of booing i just don't think it's warranted what you want to see is guys to get to their feet and and raise lambo to the to the roof and and get behind the guys that's what you want to see isn't it really yeah because look i'm always um conscious to never try tell someone what they should and shouldn't do no, on, no, on the podcast no. you know and that's that's not what we're here to do and I, I can only voice my own opinion. Now, the thing is, is that when I was in Lambo, I was chewing the chewing gum and I wrapped it up on a wrapper because it was lost all its thing, right? So I was chewing it for about 17 hours. So I was like, right, I'm done with this now. It's just hurting my jaw, right? I'm not Alex Ferguson. So I was going to put it away and I saw people just throwing stuff around Lambo. There was popcorn everywhere, you know, stuff smushed into the ground. And I was thinking it'd be so easy for me not to ruin my pocket with this and just, just pop it down on the thing. But I popped it in my pocket because I saw that I was lucky to be in Lambo. I understood the history of it all. Um, yeah. I was so happy to be there and it really was like sacred ground to me. And the one thing that stood out to me after the game and the next day when we did the tour was just how filthy the stadium was because people had just smashed stuff around everywhere. They were getting they were getting smashed drunk and just, you know, throwing stuff around. That That kind of bothered me. So from a personal level, I'm so in awe of being there, even though the first year that I saw the Packers, they got pasted by the Cowboys, right? is that I still thought that, you know, even if we were playing sucky for the whole season and people were booing, and they did boo that, that day as well, I was like, you know, we're in no position to boo. Um, and I wouldn't do it because as well as that, I'd sort of sit on the sort of fence of, well, what's booing going to do? It doesn't make me love my team any less. I feel so invested in it that it's like a child. You know, your child, you know, doesn't do well. You might get disappointed in it, but you're not going to go into school and boom out of the class. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, no, watch no, you, no. you got five out of 10 in your spelling test, boo and make him leave the room crying i mean it's not going to do anything and i'm not going to say all oh, true fans never boo because you will get those people who say i'm emotionally invested in this so i'm going to voice my displeasure and they're well on for it but it wouldn't be something i do it's not going to lift the team and as well as that i just feel that it's a really arrogant thing sometimes to do because you're kind of booing as if to say I've looked at the play calling. I understand every facet and nuance of it. And I feel that you could have done something different in that time, that that was immediately evident. 
before the play because obviously you're looking at it after the play and it hasn't worked so you're going to be like oh boo you know it's kind of like well did you know that that was going to happen you know or whatever so it's just i don't know i just i feel uncomfortable with the whole boo thing because there's just an awful lot to it than just someone getting larry and saying um, i'm kind of annoyed at the team and personally i wouldn't do it but at the same time i'd never tell a fan oh don't do that that's bad it's just like all right just you know you can do what you want no i'm I'm, I'm with you for the most part i just think that if you you've got a huge waiting list for Lambeau Field in terms of season tickets. You're privileged to be within that bowl out here on a, on a Sunday. And if you're in that bowl on a Sunday, I think you have a responsibility to get behind the players. Yeah, That's that's what I feel and create an atmosphere that's difficult for opposing teams to come in and play in. And, and I'd just like to see a bit more of that. And then if it means that the occasional boo comes out because we haven't gone for it on fourth down or a coaching decision or this and that, then I'll, I'll take that in general. But I just want to see a bit more sort of positivity, you know, getting behind the boys and, and giving them a real lift from, from minute one to minute 60. That's what I want to see. Yeah, and if anyone thinks by booing that they're going to change the coaching decisions, this is Mike McCarthy. No. He doesn't move for anybody. I mean, you know, if you if you drop a blue pen, I'd say, can you pick up my blue pen? and Or, you know, whatever. He'll just say it's red. If, if he thinks it's red, he'll look at it dead in the face, write uh, red pen in blue on your face, and that would be it. He'll still swear it's red because the guy's the most stubborn coach in the NFL so it's not gonna work. <laughs> so look at Andy uh, it's been a pleasure as usual uh, have you on and we will preview the Browns game in the next one which will kind of be a fun one because this look we went in against the Bucks thinking eh, they could do some stuff with the Browns um, not unless something dreadfully goes wrong um, on the day that they're going to get us but look from myself at NFL on Twitter from the group at UK Packers make sure you follow us on Facebook at UK Packers join the closed group follow us on Instagram you got it. It's at UK Packers. And the Packers draft guru now turned host of the UK Packers podcast. It's Andy Davies at Pooley Shrew. Give us all a follow. It's goodbye to the Browns preview. Good evening, Steve.